0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast here on a Friday, getting you into the weekend. Dan Lobby with Mary Kate Cabot and Ashley Bastock. We are going to talk Browns, and then we're going to try something a little different in the second half of the podcast. We're going to do we're going to do a draft. We actually haven't done many drafts this offseason. Those are coming. Don't worry. But we're going to do a draft of Succession characters. So we are all big fans of Succession. It comes back Sunday night. Um We'll get into our rewatch where we are in our rewatch. Ashley is like <laughs> I think Ashley's rewatched it like five times the last week. I've been I've been kind of working I through wish. it.
1: I've <laughs> been stuck in season three, episode four for like four days. I keep falling asleep <laughs> at night when I go
0: to watch it. So we're going to get into that. There's going to be spoilers all over the place in that. Just so you know, if you haven't watched Succession the first three seasons, there are going to be spoilers galore uh, coming up in the second half of this podcast. But let's get right to it here. Brown's wise, Mary Kay. They have given us uh some news here on a Friday Marquise Goodwin who you have mentioned multiple times this week certainly was still an option for them to sign they do in fact sign him um a veteran receiver a lot of speed again this just feels like another one of those I, I mean I can't argue with it I i don't I don't have an issue with this signing what, what do you think of this edition of Marquise Goodwin
2: well first of all I think it's important to note once again that there is a connection here in that uh he has the same agent as Deshaun Watson. And sometimes uh, when you have those connections, it's it's easier to get things done. Uh, you know, I don't know if uh, Deshaun maybe might have put in a little bit of a good word for him or whatever the case may be. Uh, but nevertheless, he's here. He came in for a workout on Monday and he left without a contract. But as I had been saying all week, that there was still a decent chance they were going to add him. Now this gives them two speedy receivers. Uh, You add him to Elijah Moore, who they traded for on Wednesday, and it gives them a couple of speedy options to spread the field, to stretch the field. As we talked about yesterday, though, uh, it does mean that it's going to be tougher for some of these young guys to get on the field now when you have some of these new options. Not only do they have two new receivers in Elijah Moore and Marquise Goodwin, but they have a new tight end in Jordan Aikens. So I'm calling this sort of a minor shakeup on the offense during this free agency and trade cycle, uh, you know I, I think you know it's going to be a little bit of a new look in terms of speed and explosiveness, and uh, and so yeah, I think this is another good move.
0: Ashley, your thoughts on on adding Marquise Goodwin? Yeah, I mean I think again,
1: kind of like Elijah Moore when we talked about. I think the question was, what does this like tell us about the Browns? I think it's like again just pointing to the. I guess deficits they had on offense that we thought were deficits last year were, were real. Like they didn't have that speedy receiver that can catch the ball. And I think like Mary Kay said, it just kind of points to this new direction they're going. And I think when you have a quarterback like Deshaun Watson, you have to have those guys in that room who are able to create, who are able to improvise a little bit within your system, who are able to help him out when he scrambles, All those things, you know, the makeup of that room right now, they just were missing that. And we already said, you know, going into last season, it felt like they were a receiver short. Um, So it is interesting to me. You know, I am curious, again, like what this means for a guy like David Bell, what this means for Anthony Shorts, for Michael Woods, um, those kind of younger guys, or in Anthony's case, a guy who's been around a few years now, who hasn't really been able to make consistent jumps in his development. Uh, so I do think it's going to be some new looks and and not like something we've seen from a Kevin Stefanski offense in Cleveland before.
0: So Mary Kay, one of the thoughts I had, um, you know, we've talked about this has been a very good offseason for the Browns, but I, I guess I sort of want to couch that in that a lot of the things they've done have been to sort of make up for some mistakes and make up for some misses that they've had previously, which is, that's fine. I mean, that's what you have to do as a GM. You're going to make mistakes and you're going to miss. Um, but I feel like a lot of these signings, you know, Dalvin Tomlinson, they were they led a little too heavily on the young guys last year, so they go out and sign a defensive tackle. Uh Obo, they they needed a second edge rusher. They couldn't rely on those young guys. Um, and, and there could still be edge rush help coming, either in free agency or in the draft. Uh, you know, this signing and Elijah Moore, like you couldn't go into next year counting on David Bell and Anthony Schwartz, who are two of your draft picks. Um, so you you know, you needed to add some speed and some reliability in those spots and some veterans. So I, I feel like Andrew Berry has done a good job I of sort of I you know, Juan Thornhill. I should mention that too, right? They basically traded out John Johnson the third for Juan Thornhill. So those are all moves Andrew Berry made, and a lot of the moves this offseason so far have kind of been to either replace some of those moves or hedge a little bit in some of those moves and or just fix some mistakes or some areas where players haven't developed as quickly as they'd hoped.
2: Yeah. And you know what? And that's what you have to do. If you don't get it right, if you go out and you draft Anthony Schwartz in the third round, uh, which is, as I always say, either a starting round or a very big contributor round uh, and and it doesn't work out, then you have to go find that speed somewhere else. And so they went out and they were able to do that uh, this year with Elijah Moore and now Marquise Goodwin, as you mentioned, as you mentioned, same thing with the tackles. If it didn't work out the way that you really wanted it to, and so far it really hasn't. I mean, last year I think that you know they should have gotten more out of Jordan Elliott. They should have gotten more out of Perion Winfrey. Same thing with you know Alex Wright. They have to look this year and see you know did they did they make a right choice on Alex Wright? Uh, will Jim Schwartz be able to get? some sacks out of him, some pressure out of him. I know they had really, really high hopes for him when they drafted him, uh, but you're right. Andrew uh, is always willing to go out and try to atone for some of these mistakes, and he does a really nice job in this time of year uh, You know, going out and getting guys. The thing is, a lot of times, when you look uh, at the analysis, and, and we should probably really do a deep dive on all of his acquisitions, like a really nice deep dive on it, and that is, uh, a lot of the times you know, free agents don't work out the way that you hope that they will, right? I mean, you've got the Austin Hoopers of the world. You've got the John Johnsons. And, you know, sometimes it just uh, doesn't turn out the way that you hope that it will. So we'll have to see over the next year or two, how these go, because they surely added a lot of bodies this year.
0: Yeah. And, you know, we've joked about this. I've said that I refuse to say the Browns won the offseason. And our buddy Jay on Twitter has tweeted at me a few times about it. But, I mean, I get sort of what Mary Kay was getting at there, Ashley. That's part of the reason. Like, a lot of signings look really good. And, you know, it feels like this was the right signing. I see why you did this. This makes so much sense. And then for whatever reason, you get it on the field and it doesn't work. Like, John Johnson felt like, yeah, you need a safety. He's one of the best safeties on the market. Bring him in. And then two years later, you're going after another safety. So it's just one of those things where until we really see it on the field, we're not going to know but certainly on paper it it has been a very good off season
1: i think on a macro level it's funny because the last 2 or so years definitely last year but i'll i'll kind of put it last 2021 onward It seems like a lot of the conversations we have about the Browns in general are this looks great on paper, but for some reason the wins aren't coming. So I definitely get like hesitancy here among fans if you're not like overly excited jumping for joy yet. I think we kind of, you know, feel the same way just because like it's great that it looks great on paper, but. There's a lot they needed to fix from last year to this year um, You know, on both sides of the ball. The run defense was so bad. It was one of the worst in the league last year for a large part of the year. And it was just clear, too, that the offense had a lot of kinks that needed to be worked out. So I do think on paper, which is great, these are positive steps forward. But now we have to see, can these coaches and this organization get those pieces that look great on paper to actually mesh together well on the field?
0: Mary Kay with these veteran additions trading for Elijah Moore is young, but he's, you know, they did trade to bring him in. He is a a young veteran, I guess. Juan Thornhill definitely is like the definition of a young veteran. Marquise Goodwin is, uh, you know, the real deal. He's in his thirties. He's been around for a while. Um, Does this signal a sense of urgency for this football team? Like that they're willing to go out and bring guys in to, to kind of fill these roles and not just let young players develop into them?
2: Yeah, I think so. I yes, I would say so. But I th- I feel like this uh, regime has had a sense of urgency from the start. I mean, even in their first year, they went out and they signed, uh, you know, some some very expensive players to try to get the job done uh, right away when you know when they first came in. So I do think that um, you know that that this is another sense of urgency. But I don't think it's too different than it was in previous years, you know, I, I think they've really kind of been pretty consistent with that.
0: Yeah. Ashley, are you sensing anything different? Do you feel like it's the same? Um, I mean, obviously this is, you haven't been covering this team as closely as, as you have the last years, but you've certainly been around and watching it. Do you, do you sense anything different?
1: It. I agree with Mary Kay. I think it just kind of feels like more of the same and especially now having a better understanding of the front office's philosophy in terms of the draft and not wanting to paint themselves into a need-based corner necessarily if they don't have to. Um, I think that to me is just, this is kind of par for the course. They went out, they aggressively address the needs they know they have. And then when the draft comes around next month, um, they can be aggressive in terms of getting the player that they think is the best available.
0: Okay. That'll do it for the football portion of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast here on a Friday. We're going to take a break, and then we're going to try something a little different on the other side. We're going to talk some Succession. Okay, welcome back to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, and now we're going to turn into an entertainment podcast. Uh, as I mentioned off the top, Succession is coming back on Sunday. We are all big fans of the show. Uh, so we thought as sort of a preview we would do What we do best, a draft. We're going to draft our favorite characters. So the parameters of this, it it is favorite. So it's not like best character. It's not like best actor. It's not whatever. It's favorite characters on the show. Again, this is your last warning. Spoilers will abound. We're not going to hedge. Or if something happened in the first three seasons of the show, it's very liable <laughs> to be brought up. I can tell you, I do not remember much from season three. I'm like halfway through rewatching season two. Yeah, There's a lot I had forgotten. So we're all sort of in different places with the show right now. Um, but here we go. Our draft order. And we're going to do a snake draft. Mary Kay one, Ashley two, and I am three. So Mary Kay, you are up with pick number one in our succession draft.
2: Well, I haven't started re-watching yet, and I know I'm running a little late with the, <laughs> coming back on Sunday, uh, but you know it hasn't been too long for me to remember that I absolutely love the character of Kendall Roy. How could you not love Kendall Roy, right? He's one of my all-time favorite characters uh, of these series that we all watch these days. I mean, Kendall Roy just tortured, vulnerable, beat up by his dad. Uh, You know, he's got those, he's got redeeming qualities because even though he is just a total caricature of himself, uh, you know, you can kind of cut him some slack because he was completely 100% uh, mentally abused his whole entire life by daddy. So I love me some Kendall Roy. I can't wait to see what they're going to have in store for this uh, completely tortured character in season I, four.
0: I did not have Kendall going number one. I'm a little surprised. I actually had Kendall down, down my board. I love the, I love the actor. Like, okay. The actor is kind of crazy. He's, he's a Jeremy method Strong. actor. Yeah. yeah. He is a great method a, actor. He does a great job. He's probably the, that's probably the best acted character on the show. Yeah, but, And and that's saying something because they're all really good, but I'm, I'm surprised Kendall goes number one.
2: Ashley, are you surprised?
1: Yes, but I wasn't, I'm not surprised he's going in the first round. I, he wasn't one of my top two people. I'm curious, Dan, we're going to have to discuss if he, <laughs> if, yeah. like who our top two were when we said this. But um, like Kendall would still be pretty high for me. And I know we're like not best acted part or whatever, but like Jeremy Strong's acting really is incredible. And he just like, it's it's this really like unique combination of like a total lack of self-worth mixed with like narcissism that really does kind of, I think, drive the kids in the show. Like it sets that dynamic pretty well for the relationship with their dad, who not to name other characters. Um, and like the L to the OG rap moment is probably like my favorite
0: <laughs> moment in the entire show. I will say, I shouldn't say I'm surprised because like there are so many people that could go number one in this draft and make a compelling case for. And Kendall is like the show's main character. So like, I shouldn't say I'm surprised. He's just not, for me, he's not up here in this spot. I have some, I I love the, I love how kind of deep the character is. And like I said, I love the way that, that Jeremy Strong plays it. He's just not my favorite character. That's, I mean, if we're doing favorites, if we were doing just best, I'd probably have him number one. But favorites, for whatever reason, I just can't call him my favorite.
2: You know what? He's, uh, I can't get enough of him. I mean, I'm (laughs) I'm, like, I can't get enough. I mean, he is. uh, First of all, I always say he looks like Kyle Shanahan. He's a spit (laughs) to me of Kyle Shanahan, and that. But that's not why he's my favorite character. Um, I just find him that find that there are so many layers. To Kendall Roy, and just when you think you know who he is and, and what he's all about, he completely does a 180 and surprises the heck out of you. So, well, I don't know. And, I just think he's so nuanced.
0: And, like, maybe this is fresh in my mind, because, like I said, I'm, I'm maybe halfway through season two right now. Like, the the finale of season one is, like, all of it in one episode, right? It's like... You know, Mm -hmm. super happy Kendall because they're gonna deliver this letter, and then it's like can't even talk to his dad, Kendall, and then it's drug addict Kendall, and then he ends up (laughs) killing the waiter. Like yeah, it's it's crazy. By the way, was it actually Kendall's fault that accident? I mean the waiter the waiter grabbed the steering wheel. Yes. Okay.
1: Because he wasn't paying attention while he was driving. Okay. I I think Kendall 100%. And it's like the fact that he just left like (laughs) unhinged behavior. All right, we got to move on. We got to get to pick number two here. (laughs) Ashley, you are up. Yeah, I'm excited because i get my number one guy who, as I was sitting here debating, who would I take number one? I've decided on Greg the Egg, Cousin Greg. Was that That one of your That was my one.
0: That was my number one.
1: Really? I think Greg is like, The comedic relief on the show. I just love how he's bumbling. I love Nicholas Braun. He's such, like, in real life, too. Like, I just can't get enough of him. Like, total weirdo in, like, the best possible way. Um, And I just think basically, like, every funny moment in the show somehow involves Greg, whether it's shedding documents, shredding documents. Um, When he's trying to testify in the congressional hearings for ACN and he starts talking like how he thinks you should talk when you're speaking like officially on the record to Congress and that if it is to be, then so, so it is type of thing. Um, Also involved at like randomly, like he went from a periphery family member when you first meet him to now he's on the yacht he's testifying in front of Congress. He's with Kendall when he makes like the biggest choice of his career to go against his dad at the end of season two. And rewatching season three, he's even funnier having to essentially live between the two worlds of working for Logan and working with Kendall. And for some reason, both parties are just okay with that. So I love Cousin Greg.
0: I feel like Greg is like the, he represents like the normal person being dropped into this like mess of a family. Like this whole family is just people that have no idea what the real world is like because they've just been raised in this super rich. And then Greg gets dropped in and he's like everything that we would be if we just suddenly got dropped into the middle of the the Roy family empire. Um, There is a scene He goes, I think it was the start of season two. He goes to like this penthouse that Kendall has and he's like blown away by how beautiful it is. And Kendall kind of just shrugs and is like, yeah, all the good ones were taken because it's fashion week. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) oh, okay. So yeah, Greg, Greg was my number one. I think he's just, he's like the, he's like the every man stuck in the middle of the Roy family. And like, by the way, can I ask this? Is there any chance Greg wins?
1: That's my theory for the show that that's where this is all going. Like, okay. I think it's just going to end, like, totally nonsensical and, like, it's not going to be any of the kids. I think it's, again, because of, like, Greg, With the first time you meet Greg, he's working in one of the theme parks and, like, just, like, has to be reminded that he's tangentially related to the people that happen to own the company. Um, and I don't know. I think, like, it's interesting to kind of see how he's used by everyone as, like, I don't know. Like he's just used by everyone. And I think ultimately he's going to come out on top in a way that
0: doesn't make sense. Yeah. Well, and that's like, that's the thing, Mary Kay. It's like he sort of plays both sides constantly. Like he's working for with Tom and then he's working with Kendall. And then it's like, I don't know. He's, I think he knows how to play the game.
2: He does know how to play the game. And um, it's funny because he is so sharp and so smart and so cunning. Um, but you know, kind of passes him off as himself off as you know, sort of just goofy cousin Greg, and uh, and he's not that. He's not that, and his character evolves. You know, I mean, his character evolves. You can just see that he's starting to you know get the lay of the land, and he's uh, he's not the the you know goofy little pushover everybody thinks he is.
0: Okay, so I'm up, and so Greg Greg would have been my number one pick. Um, so, but I also had a number two, and I'm very excited that this person is still on the board. It is a Greg adjacent pick. Um, I I can't pass on him. I got to take Tom. Mm-hmm. Tom is just he's sort of an he's sort of an outsider, um, but not not in the way that Greg is. He's like constantly just just his whole attitude, just constantly that weird smile he has all the time, the way he talks. Um, He's kind of the punching bag of the family. I mean, the poor guy on his wedding night gets told by Shiv that "Eh, maybe she's not into this whole monogamy thing. I I just, Tom is Tom is great. He's, He's one of my favorites. The whole Tom and Greg relationship is one of my favorites. And he's just constantly Constantly entertaining, and he's trying to sort of like Greg. He's trying to fit into this family, um, but it's sort of hit and miss. So that's that's my pick here. Yeah, he would have been my number gonna, two.
1: Those those were my top two because that is my favorite relationship on the show. Just bar none is Tom and Greg and truly one of the most comedic episodes for me is in season two where they think that ACN is that there's like a a mass shooter in the building and there isn't spoiler alert, but um, which is why the episode winds up being funny. And Tom is told he's being taken to a safe room and it's just like a conference room with all these windows surrounding him and him and Greg are in there and the way like Tom is like that kid in high school who is bullied who then has to find someone, like, younger to bully so that he can feel some sense of power. And Greg becomes that person, and 90% of the time it backfires. So I'm with you. I totally love Tom Wansgans, played by um, Matthew McFadden, Mr. Darcy Lup.
0: I, I just watched that episode. And the, my favorite thing is Tom says to the security guard, Hey, I think we've been taken to the wrong safe room. Can we go, can we go to the other safe room? Cause they have everybody else in this super nice safe room.
1: Yeah, Like an actual full fledged panic room. And Tom and Greg are in like a window filled conference room.
0: He starts throwing yeah. water bottles at Greg. These are like episodes that I've literally just rewatched. This yes, is all still just agree. fresh in my mind.
2: Yeah. It's oh, I, I, I can't wait to rewatch now, but I love Tom. Tom is so quirky so funny. I mean, you know, you, you end up feeling sorry for him because of the way that, that Shiv treats him. But then, uh, he just starts to seethe. He's seething underneath the surface and, and he just gets madder and madder about things. And he, you know, he starts to man up as time goes along and, uh, and he starts to take back some of his power. So it's cool to see his character developed like that but he he's great I mean he is he's hilarious the writers of this show are just phenomenal it's just really so well done
0: and oh he proposes to Shiv in the hospital. Oh, yeah, like unhinged. He has like no sense of like the moment.
1: (laughs) Underrated moment from the first couple of episodes when they're in the hospital and like Shiv and Roman start physically fighting in that lecture (laughs) hall. And Tom is like walking in because he's looking for Shiv. So he walks into the room, sees them fighting, doesn't say anything, like doesn't help his soon to be fiance. (laughs) and turns right back around and leaves like it's just pure, great acting from him. (laughs)
0: Okay, so mm. I have two picks here. Um, there's another one that I wanted to take, um, but it would just be too many weirdos in it. Well, okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> weirdo, know. I'm I'm using weirdo loosely here because I'm going to take the I think the lesser of two weirdos that are here on my board. I'm going to take Roman number oh, four. I thought I was going to um, get him next pick. Yeah, I think he's got a. I think he's got to be here. He's just. Yeah, he's a. He is. I mean, he is kind of a weirdo. I probably right behind the guy that i was going to take very much um (laughs) (laughs) but just i mean just again a great character there's always like a one-liner in there just the way he carries himself and has no like respect for anyone um i i just got to take roman here oh and i just watched the the episode where he does the management training Oh yeah, <laughs> that's uh, great. <laughs> that's that's a good one too. So that one is that one is fresh in my mind. So I'm taking Roman Roy here with my my second pick.
2: What a crazy character. What a what a quirky quirky original unique unicorny character Roman Roy is just you know, all over the road, you know, crazy stuff that he does you know, inappropriate stuff that he does <laughs> yeah. stuff with Jerry. I mean, it just weirdo stuff
0: responsible for one of the great gifts from the show too. When he sends oh. the picture to his dad and not to Jerry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah.
2: It's
1: funny. I was just thinking like, how much can we talk about Roman without getting the explicit tag on this podcast episode? Not much. But like, it's like, to me, which is so impressive about that character is like Kieran Culkin, who like has forever lived, in the shadow of his brother, Macaulay Culkin, for those of you who aren't aware. Yes. He, he was also at home alone. He played cousin Fuller, but he's always like lived in his brother's shadow. And then he comes out in this amazing part, just like holds his own. Um, his first rewatching the series, I was struck by the fact that his very first line, when you meet the character is what's up, MFers, except he says <laughs> the actual word. And it's just a perfect encapsulation of who that character is. And I'm glad he's getting this, like, renaissance of his career in his, like, 30s or 40s. Um, and also the actor, like, it, when he's doing interviews, he wears a ton of bracelets. Now, for the listeners, I want you to picture what you think a ton of bracelets is. It's at least like 10 more I, than what you're thinking. I gotta, I gotta Google <laughs> this. I told you. It's, 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 uh, it's an interesting time. But, No, I love him. He's another one that's like great for comedic relief, but I think is a bit more obviously calculated and cynical than like Greg, for example. He's he does!
0: It's a lot of bracelets, right? He does wear a lot of bracelets. Oh my god! It's like (laughs) his whole
1: forearm. (laughs) I told you, it's a lot of bracelets.
2: Wow! It's It's funny because some of the characters I end up like really liking them, like Tom. I like Tom in the beginning. Tom was annoying to me he was a little bit like nails on a chalkboard to me and then he won me over right yeah. Roman I I don't like him you know what I mean like I don't I didn't end up actually liking his character I like the character itself but as a person I don't really find myself liking him
0: there there's like this relentlessness to him like just constant like stark and like yeah there there's like this relentlessness that if you just don't like it you're not gonna you're not gonna like the character at all but again i mean roman could have gone number one there's probably people listening to this who are like oh i just taken roman number one no brainer so I, I think that speaks to all the characters on this show which brings us back to you ashley our fifth pick Yeah, I was going
1: to say along those lines, I think this is going to be a character that people are going to be screaming. How did it take you this long to get to him? I'm going to take Logan. I think Brian Cox, like, makes this show what it is. Again, we're not picking off of best acted, but, like, Logan is just the perfect, like, mix of all of these traits in, like, Obviously very entitled, but works very hard, very conniving. You can never quite tell what he's thinking. And he's just the driving force for all of the drama. Um, And I think, like, truly, Brian Cox, again, just fantastic in this part. And I think to even out my team here, I've got the the craziness, the comedic relief with Cousin Greg. So I'm going to take the drama
0: now with Logan. Does Logan just hate his kids?
1: I think he thinks they're all incompetent, which like yeah. he's not wrong about like, right. Like he's not wrong. They, they do all find a way to be incompetent in their own ways.
0: Yeah. I like clearly he doesn't want any of them to take over the company. No. <laughs> just very clearly as this goes along, he just doesn't think any of them are cut out to actually take over and, and run this company. Cause it just goes back and forth from initially it's going to be Kendall in the first episode. And then that blows up and Shiv in season two, it's, it's a mess.
2: Well, the thing about Logan is, you know, I keep waiting, especially after, you know, his health challenge, you know, it didn't soften him. It didn't, it didn't change him. And he just doesn't really have many redeeming qualities at all. You know, I mean, like, there's not, it's not like he's this gruff, gruff teddy bear. You know, sometimes you've got that character and then you find out, you know, that, you know, slice them open deep inside and there's a really, you know, nice guy in there. (laughs) But it's not like that uh, with Logan at all. He's ruthless. He's relentless. And he will destroy his own children. I mean, who does that? Who does that? (laughs) Logan Roy does that.
0: He really does. He messes with his kids. Like he's just always playing the game. It's always playing the game with him, no matter what. Mm-hmm. Like, pitting his kids against each other, uh, all of that. All right. So Mary Kay, we are back to you with pick number. We might be able to go a third round here. I don't know, Mary Kay, we're back to you with pick number six. All
2: right. Pick number six. I'm i I'm glad that I have uh, this character right here because I'll, I will actually be – actually be very happy with my team so far, ending up with these two. Um, and you guys know who it is by now. I'm taking Shiv. And I'm actually a little surprised that awesome Shiv has uh, has lasted this long. Uh, I think she's one of the coolest female characters that I've seen on, you know, on HBO, Netflix, or any of these series. Uh, she's smart as a whip. She, you know, she deals in, in a man's world. She doesn't take any crap from anybody. Um, she kind of plays it her way. She does her own thing. She's tough as nails. She reminds me a lot of her dad. She's got some of her, you know, some of her dad's, qual- a lot of her dad's qualities, actually. And throughout most of this, I've always thought that, you know, she is the right person, uh, you know, to take over the company. But, you know, we'll have to see how that goes, of course. But, um, yeah, I think she's, uh, I I just think she's really cool. And I I think she pairs nicely on my team with with her bro.
0: Again, she could have been the number one pick. Like, there's there's so many characters that could have been the number one pick here. And when you mentioned she kind of reminds you, has some of Logan's traits. I'm just thinking about, like, I mean, Ashley, she doesn't even tell Tom what's going on. Like it's like when, when Logan is like, I'm thinking about naming, maybe I'll name you as the next, she doesn't tell Tom for like two weeks. No, she,
1: Shiv is the internet's favorite girl boss. Got an amazing haircut, has an amazing wardrobe. And like the whole season two arc with her is just so fascinating to me because it's almost like to use a sports reference, like, it's a baseball player who wants to hit a home run so bad that they strike out. Like, that's kind of how I view the entirety of season two for her. Because that Turnhaven episode when they're at that dinner with the Pierce family and they're trying to buy the company. And she's like, ah, just tell him it's going to be me. And, like, you can tell just is internally freaking out that it's not going to be hers. So she puts Logan in a horrible spot um, to try to get what she wants. And I think she kind of, like, rides as a character like, the ups and downs of her own character arc really well and, like, the ups and downs of where she is in Prospects to take over ACN or take over Waystar Boyko, I guess I should say. Um, And, yeah, she's ruthless. Like, she's... I don't think you get many, like, female characters that are quite as ruthless as Shiv is in this way.
2: Yeah, I I agree. The thing the thing about Shiv is that with Shiv and Tom, it's almost the role reversal of what we usually see in yeah. te- in television or movie relationships where, you know, he's kind of, you know, wondering, you know, is she going to be cheating on me? And, you know, does she really love me? And, you know, they, they've kind of flip flopped that, right. Mm-hmm. Where she, you know, she kind of wears, literally she wears the pants in the family. And I mean, now, That's kind of changing as, as we move along, but, you know, from minute one up until, you know, this point, or at least up until late in, in season three, she has ruled and had the upper hand in the relationship and she, and she has played the traditional male role in the marriage.
0: Okay. Sidebar Shiv sidebar. Nate's the worst character in this show, right? The, the political guy that she's oh, having the yeah. affair with in season one. And season yeah. two. He yeah. He's the, the worst. worst. Like, yeah. Yes. Does that guy, like, is he actually a person? I think it's yes. like he's a robot. I think he's
1: like a caricature robot. I don't. But it's so weird.
0: I don't understand that. If we no, were doing horrible. worst character drafts, he would be number my number one, one pick. There's. Heck I don't yes. even think it would be a debate. The worst. Okay, moving on. Uh, do we want to do another round here? I've still, I mean, there's. Yeah. Yeah, there's at least three more there's picks. at least three we haven't taken. Um, yeah. Okay, so Mary Kay, you would get to have another pick here then.
2: All right, um, let me see who is my next after this, and I'm probably forgetting some because again, while well, I've been covering free agency, you guys have been rewatching <laughs>
0: success. <laughs> true, true story. <laughs>
2: <laughs> just kidding. Um, so my next one, I guess just for purposes of conversation is weirdo Connor. I mean, Connor's just a weirdo dude. I mean, they're all weird. They're all quirky, weird, but, um, but Connor just like, you know, you want to talk about black sheep of the family in a family full of black sheep. He is the blackest sheep of all. Like what doesn't fit with this picture in any kind of way. Right. And he plays the role so well. And, um, He's just uh he, you know he's just amongst goofballs he's he definitely is is one of those and he's got such a weird ass relationship with with Willa <laughs> you know I mean it's just weird
1: Yeah Connor had to go in this draft right Dan like he had oh, to
0: I almost yeah. took him I almost took him over Roman
1: Yeah I that knew was... when you said the two weirdos that you were between I'm like hey he's going to take Connor or Roman
0: I got <laughs> I got all the kids I I think one of my do you not all. She, of has, no, she has. I, three I have of Roman. The four. I took Roman.
1: She's got three of the four. <laughs>
0: I think one of my favorite Connor moments is um, Willa says. I think it's the wedding episode. Willa. Somebody asks Connor what he does, and Willa says, "Well, he doesn't really do anything," and it kind of offends Connor. It's actually how he ends up deciding <laughs> to run for president. And they're walking yeah. into the mansion, and he is like telling her all the things he does, and one of them is he's starting a podcast about Napoleonic <laughs> history. And there's some funding in line or something, something, some line like that. I was trying to Google it to see if I could find the exact line, but um, he's going through the list of things he does and they're just insane. And then he decides to run for president.
1: Yeah. I was going to say the whole running for president plot is just fantastic for me. And, and again, like kind of like Tom, but not really like he tries to scrap for that control wherever he can get it. So season one, it's like the dinner episode for Logan, um, where Logan announces, like, oh, he's back. And they, the kids are like, is he going to announce his successor after his health episode? And he doesn't. And Connor's just running around like a madman, going into the kitchen, screaming at waiters, <laughs> screaming at chefs and party planners, telling everyone they're fired, even though he has no authority to do that. Um, And again, like, Alan Ruck, who is known for playing, like, this... I one singular movie character in Ferris Bueller's Day Off has just taken this character and made it totally his own like I think it's a testament to him too that I'm not just thinking about Ferris Bueller every time I watch him on Succession
0: yeah he's kind of the ultimate like oh it's that guy I remember yeah. him from Ferris Bueller it's him I wonder <laughs> what he's been up to um, Cameron Connor Cameron Connor he's He's the one guy that's not going to win though. Right? Like there's no, like of all yeah. the people we're going to draft here, we could make a case. Well, this person could end up getting chosen, but like, there's no, there's like no world where Connor, I think actually that would ruin the entire series. If at the end, it's just like, Oh, Connor's the guy. He's the last man standing. Yeah. Uh, okay. Ashley, you are up with pick number eight. You've previously taken Greg and Logan.
1: I have to take Jerry here. I feel like Jerry to me is such a great character. And I've heard J. Smith Cameron, the actress talk about playing Jerry and how she always envisioned that like the character was originally supposed to be like Jerry J E R R Y, like a man. So she kind of like plays the role like a man in business. And it's really fascinating to me. She like developed this whole backstory for Jerry and how, her husband was the one who knew Logan and they, you know, that's how they first became friends and she got brought in and her husband died. And now she's the one that's like truly in the inner circle. Um, And I just love how Jerry is able to be sneaky and play both sides and be doing things that Logan has no idea about and always comes out unscathed. And I think one of the prime examples is in the first season um, when Kendall is first trying to put this plot together for the board to, do the vote of no confidence in regards to Logan being the CEO and Jerry's helping him that whole way. And when Kendall fumbles that meeting, Jerry's like, well, as company counsel, (laughs) I think I have to abstain from the vote. Like she always manages to work her way out and in season two, they have that little meeting about, you know, the bear hug. And she's telling Shiv, like, Shiv's like, let's wait to tell him. And she's like, if I have to tell him, it was your call. Like, she admits to your face, she will screw you over if she has to. And I love that for her and love her whole plot with Roman and and that whole thing. It's just great comedy to me.
0: Yeah, J- Jerry's one of my favorites. Um, again, somebody else who, I don't know, if you take her number one, but certainly could have been a first round pick. Uh, just knows how to play the game really Mm -hmm. smart. Um, And somebody that you could maybe, you know, she was the placeholder in season two and uh, maybe somebody you could see ending up on top in the end, for sure.
2: You know what I, what I love most about Jerry's character is the fact that again, she's buttoned down. She's got her act together. She's powerful. She's smart. She almost like like you said, Ashley. she's sort of uh, you'd think that she's playing it from the the Jerry standpoint, um, and she's thriving in the dog eat dog world. And she just seems like you know in this in this show of really really quirky whack jobs that Jerry's normal. And then they throw in the Roman situation.
0: <laughs> oh, the Roman situation, and, and
2: it just makes Jerry one of them it makes she fits in because of that and if it weren't for that she wouldn't have even been in our draft because she would have just been jerry just like, somebody oh,
0: just somebody who is a part of the company
2: just somebody that's a part of the company but that enriches her character and she becomes one of the crazy lunatics in this whole series and and that's the beautiful part of jerry all
0: right so i gotta wrap this up i have a few names here that i like i'm gonna go with the one i i'm gonna i'm gonna go with willa connor's i don't know what i don't know what to call her connor's partner i guess fiance they're fiance engaged. yeah oh yeah okay So yeah, I'm going to go with her trying to be a, (laughs) trying to be a playwright. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Um, And kind of the, like the first season and a half, they do everything they can to like distance her from the family. She's not allowed to be in any pictures. She's not allowed to actually be around. Everybody's sort of like tiptoes around what she actually is. And, you know, eventually she kind of works her way in a little bit. I just, As one of the periphery characters, I just really like that there's this random, I guess at this point, ex-prostitute who (laughs) is trying to be a playwright and is using Connor for his money to become a playwright and actually makes him move from the desert to New York City so that she can chase her dream of being a playwright. I
1: love that moment when they're on the yacht after the play premieres and she's like, I don't, I'm not going to read the reviews. I'm just going to wait. And Connor's like, well, it's my money. So I have to read the reviews. And she's like, fine, I'll just read them on your face. And she can tell it's bad. And she grabs his iPad and hurls it into the ocean. <laughs> it's such an underrated moment in the show.
2: So good. So good. <laughs> and I'm not going to be able to watch it on Sunday because I am going to be at the NFL owners meetings and we have, work to do on sunday and plus i watch it with my husband and he's gonna wait for me so i so you guys can't talk about it until i get well dan you're going on vacation, next going
0: That's true. On vacation. I'm, not, I'm not gonna be uh, i'm not gonna be on the pod next week so we'll so able- get ready well,
1: we for do- twin podcasts everyone very <laughs> naturally
0: we do have to we do have to do succession recaps though on the pod. yes
1: yeah. We'll, t- we'll
0: do a little on we Mondays or whatever. Like,
1: on Mondays, we should end with like a little like power ranking, like our top three oh, of who good. we think is going to to win in the end of the series since it's the last season.
0: Yeah, so maybe after episode two, we'll get ourselves we'll kind of. I mean, you guys are obviously welcome to do the first episode, but
1: come no, we'll back episode two we'll and, and
0: maybe get ourselves caught up. And uh, yeah, yeah, there we go.
1: We'll wait We're for gonna. It.
0: We're gonna do an uh, entertainment spin-off pod here, on Cleveland. We should. Yeah, it's <laughs> fun. We're to <gonna> take over. <laughs> I'll get I'll get our buddy Joey Morona on board. He'll, yeah, let's uh, do we'll it. Do some succession talk. Okay, uh any characters that we miss? Was there anyone on your board? I I'm just the names I have yeah. left are Carolina, yeah, um, Marsha, uh, Rava, Frank, Carl.
1: Frank um, is great. I love yeah. Frank. I'm a Frank stand. So I would have taken Frank. The other one. Who is not? Well, there were two that weren't on. Damn sent us everyone a behind the scenes look. A nice little list, grouped by category: family, spouses, company people. Um, I think Caroline, the kids' mom, who Logan's ex-wife. Oh, yeah. Uh, Oh, that's a good one. She always inserts herself in the most crazy ways, especially at the end of season three. I mean, she's the she's the reason the kids' plan fails. Essentially, her and Tom. Um, And then Stewie. I love Stewie. He's so funny.
0: Yeah, so we kind of kept it to the family. We kept it to yes. the family and the people in the company, but Stewie would have been on my board if we would have gone if we would have yeah. expanded the universe beyond the family. It, I should have said that beforehand, but
1: he to me is like another one kind of like Jerry that is just so good at playing whatever side he needs to benefit himself in that moment. Because in the no confidence vote episode, like he's supposed to be Kendall's best friend who is helping him create this plan. And again, when Kendall screws up that meeting and isn't there on time, he does the whole abstaining thing. He's like, this is a family matter. I think I'm going to abstain as well. Um, So I just love him. I think he's, he has this genuine concern for Kendall at times, but is great.
0: I, um, and this is part of, this is maybe a little bit of prisoner of the moment, but another kind of outside character, that I might have had on my board, this is where I'm at in the show, is uh Rhea. Is it Rhea Jarrell? Rhea Rhea, yeah. Rhea Jarrell. Jor-
1: yeah.
0: Yeah. So she so that's like the part of my rewatch that I'm on right now when she's yeah. um, when she's on. So um, she's really good too as sort of a, a periphery character. I don't know if periphery is the right word, but
1: she was non- like family. a major yeah, yeah. major major guest starring character i mean holly Hunter. like mm. i think season three to me at the beginning it felt kind of slow like without her like i loved how sneaky she was and that whole dynamic there um i'm curious if she'll come back at all for the final
0: season God, you know what we should have just included stewie Should <laughs> have included in stewie He should have just been a as kendall's college drinking buddy
1: yeah i love been. him
0: he should have been involved in the in the entire draft Okay, there we go uh, Our entertainment portion of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast Yes, we did 10 minutes on Marquise Goodwin And 37 minutes on Succession <laughs> Hey, it's the off season. It's Friday uh, We gotta have a little fun, right? We gotta do something a little bit different right now uh, As we go through this uh, Make sure you subscribe to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast On Apple Podcasts and Spotify Leave us uh, five-star reviews uh, Say nice things about us Tell us who you would have picked, number one in the succession draft, and also become a football insider subscriber cleveland.com slash browns blue banner at the top of the page to get info and get signed up for that for mary kay and ashley i'm dan thanks for listening everybody